Time now for AliCast, a deep dive into innovative and emerging trends in e-commerce, online payments, and digital entertainment. Brought to you by Alibaba Group, we'll offer insights about Chinese consumers and brands doing business in China. We'll delve into global online retail, cloud computing, big data, and other must-know topics and issues in and around one of China's largest companies. I'm Adam Najberg. Phone cases are a commodity in Asia. They're pretty much a dime a dozen. You can find them everywhere at indoor or outdoor markets, at pop-up stands, at retail stores. But there's one brand that stands out in this crowded consumer marketplace. It's called Otterbox. The Fort Collins, Colorado company behind Otterbox prides itself on making virtually indestructible cases for Android and Apple smartphones. They undergo hundreds of hours of testing, and they cost a lot relative to the run-of-the-mill phone cases you see around you. That is. I'm outside the Wan Chai Computer Center in Hong Kong. I'm going to go inside to find out from an OtterBox vendor why the product is successful. How do they position the brand? And then I'm going to have a chat with two of the company's top executives in the Asia Pacific region to dig a little deeper into this brand success story. Let's go inside. What kind of customers look for LifeProof or OtterBox in, in your store? Uh, most of the customer they go outdoor exercise a lot. Maybe um, it's about their work. They need some protection case, so they look for Octobox. They they need strong protection case. And some of the customer they have kids at home, so they they also looks for. Uh, I mean, they ask for any case that's strong protection, and then we recommend Octobox. I'm with Bonnie Soon, who is the managing director of Otterbox and LifeProof for APAC, and Patrick Waller, who is the marketing director for Otterbox and LifeProof in APAC. Guys, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. Yeah. Let's get into it. So, so I'd like to just kind of get a, a brief Reader's Digest version of the history of the company that has kind of saved mothers and fathers from many hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of busted phones. <laughs> So, Autobox was found in Fort Collins in 1998 by Kurt and Nancy Richardson. So, at the beginning, we start with a product called Drybox, which is the original Autobox, which is a waterproof, crush-proof container to protect the valuables. When the product, when when PDA launched, Autobox evolved to allow the use of PDAs to the case with an innovative touchscreen. And as smartphone industry becoming growing, booming, and Autobox product continue to evolve to offer protection to a broad variety of devices. So PDAs uh, meaning personal digital assistance, not public displays of affection. <laughs> right? Correct. Do, do you have one of those original boxes here? Oh, yeah. Okay, I see. It. Let me let me just grab it. Well, it's it's certainly very um, strong. I can't say it's a wonderful fashion statement to carry this around. It's <laughs> it's a tra- it's a semi transparent, very heavy plastic box. I don't I don't think I could do damage to this one if I smashed it against something. Right? Oh you, yeah, you, you could stomp on that right yeah. now if you want. Patrick loves to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty close to it. You're right. So so after this first box, what what happened then? So、um, after the PDA and then the smartphone industry continued to booming, 
and then Autobox evolved um, you know, our product range to become uh, offering protection to a large variety of uh, devices. Um, you know, I don't remember phone cases being a thing, but I do remember as a parent it becoming a thing. And when I got my first device from my, my, my company, like it was a thing because they told me if I broke it, I have to pay for the next one. So I was like, well, how can I protect this thing? And I keep dropping it. At, at what point after you guys got going, did protection really become a thing for the industry? I, I don't know if we know an exact point. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, the, the we definitely saw the growth. Uh, so the company just started growing. So uh, I think, you know, we would consider ourselves a pioneer of phone case protection. I'm just looking at the logo and Otter Box. What does an otter have to do with this? <laughs> yeah, because uh, I think it's a story when um, our owner naming the company. So Kurt and Nancy one day travel, have a, a trip, and they travel by dri- during driving. They pass through a lake and they see otter. So at that time, they are uh, thinking of the name of the company. So and then otter is a fun and playful uh, animals, and um, their vision of our company is the same. So we have a, a chance encounter with fun wildlife, and I mean it, it's a it's a good backstory. And and I guess like if we shift over to, to Asia a bit, the the otter has become kind of a talking point for you guys here. Uh, I think the logo, right? Yeah. Uh, everybody thinking of the logo is so fun. And people start asking for what is the name of it. So uh, actually, we have named it Ollie, Ollie the Otter. Ollie the Otter. Yeah. Actually, Ollie the Otter become our ambassador of yeah. um, like charity and for the brand. You've brought it to life. How have you brought it to life? Uh, so, so we've done many different things uh, based on the first customer questions of what the uh, you know the otter's name was. Um, we moved it into actually little short clips of animated videos to then morphing into actually cuddly uh, plush toys um, for people to bring home and to collect. And as we were doing that, we were kind of seeing the the pickup and the interest uh, across Asia in the the little furry character. Um, that we started to decide that it's a good communication channel to build more multicultural awareness. And so we, we started giving Ollie the Otter kind of tourist cultural outfits. So if he was going to Ireland, he would have the Irish outfit. Uh, or if he was going to Tokyo, he'd have a Tokyo Japanese outfit. And the one that we recently launched for Chinese New Year was Chinese New Year uh, outfit of Ollie the Otter. And I've heard that you've had the life-size one. You've been known to don the Ollie the Otter <laughs> suit at some some of the gatherings. Is that right? Yeah, somebody has to put on the big uh, the big mascot outfit. <laughs> take take one for the team and, and lead by example. Um, <laughs> and it gets pretty hot in there. Um, but yeah, people absolutely love it of all ages. Um, I mean, it becomes quite the the selfie um, stick where everybody's coming over and wanting to photo with the the giant mascot. I mean, you've you talked about some of the essentially differences. You know, it's a logo in the United States, but it's it's an otter and plush dolls and a mascot costume here. And, and it sounds like it's become part of, of your branding strategy. Can we walk back a little? At what point did you guys decide um, we're successful in the United States, we're successful in Canada, uh, let's go to Asia. And in Asia, you know, let's look at China. What, what was the thought process behind that? Yeah, I think moving to Hong Kong set up 
uh, an office in Hong Kong is a strategic move for the company. What was it like at the start? What, what were you trying to be here in Asia? And why did you decide to be based in Hong Kong? Yeah, because for Hong Kong, to be in Hong Kong, it's, there is a lot of benefits because Hong Kong is the hub, uh, a popular hub for most of the international business. And the location of Hong Kong is, uh, it is in the heart of Asia. What was the, the goal at that point? Of course, the growth, uh, <laughs> growth of our international business. But selling, selling the U.S. made, was it made in the United States at that point, the Outer Box products? We have several production, uh, manufacturing origin, like China, U.S., and Mexico. At what point did you say, to sell here, we have to do X and Y and Z? Yeah, it's a long journey. Actually, it's a long journey. Um, you know, APAC, we are servicing 15 countries, and every country has its own culture. And we cannot just take the, whatever U.S. already has, so we have to make some changes in terms of product, the way of doing branding, marketing into each individual market. So even, uh, for example, China alone, uh, we have so many different uh, province, state, and every single state is considered a different market. So you have a product. It's it's not a cheap product. In, in, and I mean, not cheap in terms of price or quality. Like this is a premium product, one that's built to be durable and you guys stand behind it. You know, we, we hear people who sell it say, we talk about how great your aftercare service is, that kind of thing. So then you have China where... You know, it's a market that, yes, people pay attention to brands, but they're also very price sensitive. So knowing in 2011 you guys wanted to be in China, what was the approach to start selling into a market like that? Actually, at the beginning, we didn't really uh, immediately open the China market. Uh, we start uh, with open up the Australian market first because it is um, um, shared a similarity of U.S. So and actually China, we opened up China like two years ago. And uh, because we're already setting the foundation, and then we have gained a lot of um, experience and understand a lot more uh, the Asian market, and then we, we start uh, stepping our foot into the mar- uh, China market. And what was that like when you, when you said, okay, we're going to go into China? Was it 2014 or 2015 approximately that you... Yeah, 2014. What, was, what were the steps that you took? To get into that market? Baby step. (laughs) (laughs) In order to tackle the China market, uh, you aren't able to get the result uh, overnight. And also, uh, I think respect the culture is also another important thing that... and Open to change, I think. (laughs) To constantly uh, be okay with kind of changing your strategy. So evolve with the market. How do you see the velocity in the China market when, when you're producing for, for things like, you know, Apple phones and Android phones? I think we, first of all, uh, the most important thing is we need to stick with our quality, the quality, the product quality that we provide to the consumer. So we do a lot of tests. We have our certified um, drop plus protection test. So every single design or material has to pass through that test like 238 hours um, across 20-plus tests. And then we build a trust with the consumer. And the consumer trusts our product. And then nowadays, they are looking for a little bit more like the China market or other Asian market. The consumers start looking for more, a little bit faction element into the, the product. 
So we start diversify our product into some um, more fashion leather cases, Swarovski leather cases. You're not compromising at all on quality. Everything is going through the same kinds of. I, I didn't realize it was 238. Is this yeah. 238 hours of yes. testing? Just wow. I'll have to tell my kids that. <laughs> but <laughs> they're still testing them, I'm sure. Yeah, 239, 239 <laughs> counting. So, but you're not you're not compromising at all on those standards. But the the change in the velocity that you're talking about is you realize like, hmm, people there are really interested in this as a fashion accessory, not just as a you know a defender case that makes my phone safer. So that's why you're doing things with Swarovski. You're going to leather. Yeah. So that's the kind of quick adaptation you, you make a judgment like hmm, we better get into that area yeah true what, what kind of cycle do you have like once you say okay and we better be in the in leather here or we you know we need a little bit more bling or something like that how long does it take you from the conception to the execution really quick yeah <laughs> <laughs> we say like um, maybe three months that yeah. we will have the product coming out Wow, that's that's not bad. So a ninety day product cycle, and and do you find that that is satisfying the market demand? Is that fast enough for China? Mm, I think it's reasonable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think it all comes back to what Bonnie was saying with baby steps. So you know, we we we've done a lot of experimenting with new cases, um, and we've taken it step by step uh, to find out how to. Con- do consumers react to it? How much do they like it? What are the reviews um, before we move into kind of bigger ideas? So how, how do you do that? Like, what are some examples of things you've kind of test marketed or tried? And, and how did you get the data to, to draw the conclusion, green light or red light? So we've done a lot of market research in-house and externally. But I, I think you know, our, our majority of our research is really just our customer feedback and from review platforms in today's digital world uh, to talking to our retail partners, to our OEM device partners, trying to figure out what would work best uh, and then testing it. Uh, our products start from being very rugged. You know, that's our history is that we, we are a protective case company and, and we have a strong uh, customer base that's uh, looking for a rugged case that will be able to take on anything. We, we take that kind of template and then we, we've looked at different stylish ways of speaking to different cultural consumers. So if you, if you have the kind of foundation of the, of the protection, then we add the style on top and we try to have the perfect balance between protection and style. Yeah, and also for the China market, um, you know, Timor is the first uh, channel that we enter. And I think based on Timor, they provide a lot of data of those type of consumer uh, preference. So we also make use of those data. So you're entering into China then is 2015 or 2014, excuse me, 2014. At that point, did you, you decided to go in through through a Tmall channel and, mm-hmm. uh, from Alibaba? Yeah, because the, the offline channel uh, the, it is pretty complicated, um, very complex. The structural wise, so we designed and based on the data, uh, research data, con, uh, Chinese consumer um, always shop online. So that's why we uh, prefer uh, we start our first flagship on Tmall. We went through a Tmall partner, so we actually went for a, a local uh, China um, Tmall page. 
could could I get you to talk a little bit about the experience? How was it working with a, with the Tmall partner? As you probably heard, Jack Ma has uh, pledged that over the next five years, Alibaba is going to help U.S. entrepreneurs create one million jobs for you know, small and medium enterprise in the United States. This is pretty much a success story. I don't know how successful was it at, at first. What was the experience like working with a partner? Uh, it was good. Yeah, uh, it was I good. think our our business is is really built on partners in Asia. Uh, and, you know, being in fifteen markets, uh, we've we've looked at uh, how can we enter and how can we localize in many of the markets through uh, local partnerships. So it it worked out well. Is yeah. that something you'd recommend if someone is you know just starting out? Uh, they have a business they want to get into China. Do you would you say working with a partner increases chances of of you know launching successfully? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, every business has their decision of how they want to enter the markets. Um, and if we come back to the product testing, too, you know, we find that digital channels are always are best for testing. So, you know, there's not as much of an investment if you're going uh, digital and through a partner. And, you know, you mentioned earlier about coming back to you from the electronic platform. Uh, well, well, we get a lot of data uh, today from many different channels, whether it's social media or whether it's our web pages. Um, so, you know, uh, deciphering all that data and trying to find insights, uh, build assumptions, uh, and then make make some guesses and, and try things out. I think, yeah. you know, culturally as a company, uh, there's a strong sense of entrepreneurial spirit and freedom to fail. And try it and see how it goes and uh, i think we've been we've been lucky to to have that motto succeed in terms of chinese consumers then when when you launched you know you try things out what have you discovered about chinese consumers are they the same as western consumers are they different how are they different like what what are some of the nuances there i think chinese consumer they look at the quality it's um i think more uh they are more de- uh, demand on high quality product, so uh, at the price point that they pay, they're looking for really almost close to perfect. Not only Chinese consumer, but uh, I would say uh, throughout Asia, uh, consumer looking for high quality product and uh, paying at a reasonable price. Most so of them. On the price issue, how price sensitive are Chinese consumers? They obviously can kind of dial anything they want up on on, on Taobao or Tmall and, and kind of comparison shop. You, know, you guys come up as you know authentic product, premium brand, but you know your prices are going to be higher than others. I mean, it's a real commodity. A, f- a phone case in China is a real commodity. You're still standing out. You're still having good sales in China. So, how price sensitive are the Chinese? For Chinese consumer, I think if the brand we have a solid brand and uh, we build a trust for the consumer, they actually embrace. They 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 are um, open to a higher price product. Knowing now what you know, if you were going to start this again with that knowledge beforehand, is there anything you do differently when you open that first Tmall channel? Let's say. No, I think we will just do the same. Yeah, I think the strategy and what we did, it's um, spot on. And the strategy was primarily what you said, baby steps, right? You want to kind of put something or a couple of somethings out there, see how they do, right? You look at the the data, are they selling, are they not selling? Yeah, Yeah. make change and then launch again and review and 
Is it something that you do more, like kind of tweaking the, the product offerings and arrangements in, in Tmall, for example, than you do in the United States or in Canada? Yeah, I think we do a lot more diversify, uh, diversify of our product here in APAC. Overall, like, how would you say China fits into your company strategy now? Is it somewhat important, very important? Is it you know, the future? I, I, I mean, how would you describe how it fits into the, the corporate growth strategy? Very important, I would say, yeah. yes. Of course, the market uh, potential here in APAC is not maximized yet. There, there is still a lot of space for us to grow. But what you're describing is you're, you're more than a protection company for, for phones, for devices. You're becoming more of a lifestyle company. And, mm-hmm. and Asia is, is fitting into that strategy. Why? And I, I think we've always been true to our, to our roots, to Bonnie's point, that you know, we believe that originally the dry box was to enable people to bring things in the outdoors and not worry about them getting crushed or wet. And then those things in our world today became smartphones, <laughs> um, which are extremely important to everybody. So the power of protection, you know, I guess, worked off of that popularity. And then now we still believe that we allow people to bring their devices. Uh, we want them to be able to bring whatever it is to enable them to be in the outdoors, to get regular exercise, to uh, to basically have peace of mind that whatever they do, wherever they go, um, we're there to, to help them do it. Let me ask you one last thing, Bonnie. If I handed you, or Steve, let's say Steve Nesbitt handed you a, a blank sheet and said, I want your plan for the next two years for for China and for APAC. What are the sort of moonshots for you to make everything perfect and great? <laughs> so I think first of all, we need to focus on our core business, right? We need to make sure to maintain or grow our uh, core business. And then we start thinking of the product expansion to for, you know to explore additional revenue for the company. And what about China specifically? Same question. You're in there. Talk a bit about the the different channels that you're you're there because I I know you're also doing some offline, but also you're working through the Alibaba platform. So offline and online, what what are the next two years to make everything wonderful? Yeah, the offline online is very important now um, because in the past China uh, most of the Chinese company is focused on online sales. But actually, we are seeing a trend that uh, some of the uh, company is start working offline. So the next two years, I think for China is uh, the most important thing is make sure the online and offline collaboration, um, uh, the online and offline sales. Uh, we not just focus online, but also um, to make sure that how the offline uh, activities then can benefit online, and online activity can benefit the offline. Kind of sounds like you're describing new retail. For you guys, what does that mean? I mean, do you, so you, you must have a great online logistics system, but if you're in a market like China, or even in the United States, let me ask, do you have a great offline logistics system too? And in the back office, are they, are they married together? Yeah, in U.S., actually, we have, a, we have quite, um, we have a big distribution center, to support the offline. And um, however, the U.S. consumer is a little bit unlike Chinese consumer, I think U.S. consumer is still very co- focused offline. They prefer to go to the store and have that store experience uh, to make the purchase. But for China, it's and 
the trend in APAC is um, consumer will go to offline store to experience the product, and at the end they buy off online or the other way around. I'm wondering, is there anything that we haven't touched on? I, I mean, I guess we touched on it briefly with uh, Ollie the Otter, and you know, a, a big vision from our founder and uh, from the company globally is uh, is giving back. So, you know, we we strongly believe in giving back uh, a portion of our of our profits to local community um, programs, um, and we've made Ollie the Otter the ambassador of that here in Asia. So we work with local charities um, and schools to, to um, help them, one, from a financial perspective, and then uh, as well from volunteering. So last week we did a full volunteer day where we actually closed the doors to the office and opened our hearts um, was the marketing messaging uh, so that you know we actually take a step back from our busy lives and go and volunteer and offer our, our time and our, our uh, personalities and our energy um, out to the local community. You've been listening to AliCast, a regular podcast from the Alibaba Group. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Adam Najberg.